Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Well, Merry Christmas, Candeo family. Oh, that's weak, guys. Thanksgiving's over. We're moving on. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, it's, it's Christmas time, which means we can fully embrace Christmas without the awkward fear that Thanksgiving's feelings might be hurt. Uh, I think Thanksgiving is kind of like the, the middle child of like all the holidays, right? Like you, we love Thanksgiving, just like as parents were like, well, we love our middle children, but we all know that like the baby gets all the attention and the firstborn gets all the new stuff. I am a middle child, so I also know the experience of like what that's like. But Thanksgiving, it gets like one day, one moment. They don't even like set up stuff in the stores for it. You know, you go straight from Halloween to Christmas, but it gets like one day, a bunch of football, a bunch of food, and then we're like moving on. And it's Christmas season, baby. And we're uh, embracing that here uh, because today is also like, this is the beginning of Advent for the church. For the Christian church, this marks the start of Advent where we begin our countdown toward Christmas. And that word Advent, if you've heard of it, it's kind of a churchy word. The, the word Advent means simply arrival. Advent is a time where we celebrate together as God's people, the proclamation that rang out across the Galilean countryside in the middle of the night some 2,000 years ago when the angels proclaimed this, don't be afraid. I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. One thing I really want you to take note in that section of scripture there is that phrase, great joy. In your Bible, the word joy appears over 200 times, but that, that phrase is unique. It'll appear less than 10 times in your Bible. This is special news. And that's a passage we can often fixate on a lot in Christmas time. And I want to just come like, like pull back a little bit as we start our Advent season and ask a really critical question. Because I think the most important question that we can ask and answer at the start of the Advent season is why? Why is this such good news? Why is this good news of great joy? Why? Why? To answer that question, I would definitely say that this is one of those like good news, bad news situations. And what I mean is like, if you came up to me and I said, hey, I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. You can't say to me, well, give me the good news first and then we'll be ready for the bad news. This is actually one of those where like the two are linked and it actually really only makes sense. The good news really only makes sense if you understand the bad news. Like if I said to you, you're cured and you didn't even know you were sick, there'd be some joy there. But what's true in this situation is the joy is greatest when it erupts from the darkest darkness. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna just like hold on to that Luke 2 proclamation. And I wanna say like that proclamation, let's hold that up against another proclamation. And when we do that, you begin to recognize why this news is so good. Why we should be filled with great joy. So I want to hold up that proclamation, that Christmas proclamation of Luke 2, up against another proclamation. Proclamation found in Genesis 3. We're going to pick up in verse 7. 
If you are like totally new to your Bible and you're trying to even find now where Genesis is on your phone or in your Bible, like Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So we're gonna go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. Genesis actually begins with the words in the beginning, which those those words there are not referencing like in the beginning of the Bible. They actually mean like, like in the beginning, like of all of creation. And then it begins to kind of lay out an account of what happens. I've shared this before, but a way that I kind of summarize the first three chapters of the Bible, as I say, chapter one highlights the greatness of God. Because what you see in chapter one is how God creates everything. The sun and the stars, the majestic mountain peaks and waterfalls, all of the birds flying through the air, all of the fish swimming through the oceans, all of the animals roaming through the land. Everything is created purely by the power of God's spoken words. Like literally God says, let there be deer and there are bucks and does everywhere. And then he said, and we'll put the massive ones, the biggest ones in Iowa. That's, I'm adding that, but it's deer season. Come on, let's go. But he he just, in the power of his voice, it displays his greatness. He's able to create with such beauty and majesty and wonder. And if chapter one displays God's greatness, chapter two displays his goodness. See, the crown jewel of all of God's creation was when he created a man and a woman. See, he made them different. Everything else he made by the power of his words, the man and the woman he made in the tenderness of his hands. Literally grabbed up dust from the earth, began to form and fashion a man and a woman, and then he personally breathed the breath of life into them and they became living beings. And not only do we see his immeasurable goodness in the fact that he creates a man and a woman, but he gives them the gift of full and unhindered relationship with him. He dwells presently, like personally with them. And so not only do they have a relationship with God, they also have a relationship with each other. They have companionship with one another. They have full and unhindered relationship with each other. And not only do they have a relationship with God, a relationship with each other, God gives them everything they need for life and flourishing. They lack for nothing in their new home. And on top of all of that, he gives them a warning, which if he didn't love them, he wouldn't warn them, right? And he also gives them a choice because he wants them to choose to trust him and to love him. And he says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. And as chapter two ends, everything is perfect. And by the time you get to chapter three, verse 17, all hell has broken loose. If you want that summary of the first three chapters, chapter one displays the greatness of God. Chapter two displays the goodness of God. And chapter three, we use simply the phrase, the fall to describe. There's a lot of things we could focus on within this chapter, but specifically, I just want to highlight three things today that because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, three new things get introduced into the world. There's a new reminder, there's a new reality, and there's a new restriction. 
And I believe understanding the bad news and these three things accentuates the glory of Christmas and the good news of Christmas. So let's pick up in verse 17. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat. The ground is cursed because of you and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. I just want to pause here and highlight what's happening here because here's the reminder. And I want farmers particularly, give me some eye contact this morning. Farmers, this is why farming, growing crops is so agonizingly difficult. (laughs) Like you know this personally, because if like somehow you dodge like floods and droughts over the course of the summer, you also have to worry about hail, flatline winds. And if you somehow like dodge all of the bad weather, you're still not out of the woods yet. Because if it's not those things, then it's going to be insects. And if it's not insects, it's going to be disease. And if it's not insects or disease, it's going to be weeds. You know this fight firsthand of how hard it is to try to work with the ground to scratch out a living for yourself. Please know this. It was not always like that. It was not always like that. At one point, God looked at all of creation and said, it's very good. Almost within the same breath, he looked at Adam and said, you are free to eat any of this. And it's gonna just keep coming. (laughs) You're free to eat from any of it. But when Adam and Eve ate the one thing that they were told not to eat, when they declared their independence and gave a stiff arm to God and struck out on their own and said, we're going to do life on our terms. When they did that, this eating theme continues. And now God says, "Mm, the ground is cursed because of you and you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. From now on, there will be much sweat and frustration as you try to scratch out a living and no amount of tech advancements will reverse the curse. Pioneer can try. All the chemical companies can try. But it's gonna be a fight just to survive and scratch out a living. Things are not supposed to be this way. When God had created everything and said it's very good, he placed Adam and Eve in the garden as his representative rulers. He left them in charge to rule over and to subdue creation, to tend and to care for it. And instead of ruling over and subduing creation, they actually submitted themselves to creation. And when they fell, it wasn't just that Adam and Eve fell. All of creation fell with them. This is what Romans 8 says. For the creation was subjected to futility. Is that like word? Kind of make your ears perk up a little bit after Ecclesiastes, right? Like that was like a key theme for us all throughout Ecclesiastes, right? That all of these endeavors in life, and it's not just limited to farming, but all of creation has been subjected to just the frustrations of all toiling and, and, and all things. It's just, it's futile, It wasn't like that. When Adam and Eve fell, all of creation fell with it. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay and into the glorious freedom of God's children. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. There's this song that we sing often around Christmas time, Oh Holy Night, that has this line in it about long lay the world in sin and error pining. And obviously that's talking about like mankind, like groaning and longing for just the adoption that God has for us, that we'd be released from this world. But I also think we need to broaden that a little bit because it isn't just mankind that rejoices at the proclamation of the angels that first Christmas night. All of creation celebrates Christmas. I think this is even what Jesus is getting at when he's riding into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry. And the Pharisees come up to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop telling people to say Hosanna and and tell them to stop saying all of that. You know what, what Jesus says in Luke's account? He says, if I tell them to keep quiet, then the rocks will cry out. Save us, save us, save us. When sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's rebellion, the ground was cursed and it longs to be released. It wasn't always like this, but the futility of creation and the experiences that we have in it are a persistent reminder that we live in a broken world. There's the reminder. Here's the new reality. Pick up with me in verse 19. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. God's words to Adam and Eve here aren't so much like curses or commands to be obeyed. This is just simply him stating, this is the way things are going to be from now on. Like if you... If you've had the experience where like you've sat at somebody's bedside in those final hours of life, I don't know if you've ever had that, but you're sitting there with somebody that you love, somebody that you remember like being so vibrant and lively at one point, somebody that seemed almost untouchable to death. And now here they are and you can see they got that look on their face, the color is fading from their skin, their hand is growing increasingly colder as you hold on, just a weakness. Have you ever had that experience and sat there and the whole time hated every minute of it? Please know this. God hates it too. Things weren't supposed to be like this. I don't know if you know this, But Adam and Eve were created to live with God forever. Death was not a part of that reality when God created all things. Remember what he had told him. He said, on the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. And somebody would maybe want to try to be smart here and go, well, they ate and they didn't die. And I said, well, yeah, not immediately and not not physically. But understand this, when, when they ate, the one thing that God had told them not to eat and they struck out on their own, they stiff-armed God, they, they made a declaration of independence saying, I'm gonna do life on my own terms. When they did that, the relationship with God was broken. And what happened instantly, maybe it wasn't physical death, but it was spiritual death, that relationship broken. And the reality is death had now been brought into the world 
and it would haunt them every day of their lives. That's the death, spiritual death, and this physical death reality that would haunt them every day of their lives. From dust, they were made, and they would return to dust. I just want to slow down here for just a moment because I think it can be easy to get a little frustrated at this point and go, all right, I don't get this though. Like, why do I have to bear the consequences of their bad decision? Like, it's, it's always kind of like natural for us to be really good at pointing out the faults in other people and not like recognizing them in ourselves. And I want to like just pause for a little bit because Adam and Eve's problem like is our problem as well. They're not the only people in the room this morning that have stiff-armed God, struck out on their own, made a declaration of independence and said, I'm gonna do life on my own terms. They were just the first. I mean, seriously, like how many of us in this room, like you have known at points in your life exactly what God wants you to do, exactly what he told you to do in life and you didn't do it. Like you knew exactly how God wanted you to use your words and you didn't do it. You knew exactly how God wanted you to use your money. You knew exactly how God wanted you to live out your life in a particular relationship or in all of your relationships. And you said, no, doing things my way. Adam and Eve were guilty and welcomed in a new reality that sin and death would be this cloud that would hang over them all of their life. When they fell, all of creation fell, and we have followed suit. And we too live under that same reality of sin, death, and brokenness. It wasn't always like this. But not only is there this persistent reminder and this new reality of death kind of hanging over us like this cloud that kind of follows us everywhere, there's also a new restriction that when Adam and Eve fell, was brought into the world. Pick up with me in verse 20 now. It says, the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living and the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. That's what we'll end as far as the text today. This topic though, like, like prolonging life, of being able to live forever has become an obsession of our generation. Like you can watch shows like Limitless or Live to 100, Life in the Blue Zones and Netflix, just to see these things. Like it's become an obsession for us. I even heard recently of a scientific study that was completed that said they maybe have found genes within worms that will allow the human being to live maybe four to five times longer than we currently live talking about the ability that, that maybe at some point people will be able to live four to 500 years because of this advancement. Which kind of begs the question, 
Like if you could live forever, like live like, like this, this life forever, would you want to? Here's God's answer from Genesis 3. No. No. See, at one time, he looked at the world and said, it's very good. And now he looks at the cursed earth, a relationship with Adam and Eve that is not what it was meant to be. And what he does is he then takes Adam and Eve because of the rebellion and he removes them from the garden and he restricts them from having access to the tree of life that they might reach out and live forever in that state. And he does all of that, not because he hates them, but because he loves them. God wants us to have eternal life, but not like that. Not like that. You have to remind yourself as you're walking through Genesis 3 that these are not the actions of some angry tyrant, but a heartbroken father. Any parent who's ever had a child go wayward and rebelled and you've shut off the bank account, you barred their access to something that you knew was gonna do them harm, you know what that's like. Genesis 3 answers for us this really important question. Like, how did we get here? Like when you're walking through life and you just get frustrated with the world, when you look at death like face to face and you go, I hate this. And it just feels like it's hanging over you constantly. And you have in yourself this longing for eternity and it sits in your heart, but yet you cannot reach out and grab it with your hands. And you go, how did we get here? Genesis 3 is the answer. This is how we got here. And I want to pause for a bit because it's easy to keep like wanting to jump to the end, especially if you know the end of the story. But I just want to ask a simple question. Like what if Genesis 3 was the only proclamation and there was no Luke 2 proclamation? Because I have to pause every time I read through Genesis 3 and go, it would totally be like just and fair of God. I'd maybe even use the word good of God if he just walked away at this point and said, I'm done. I mean, we have walked away from broken relationships for way less, right? I think what baffles me the most is that there's not only a Genesis 3, then there's a Genesis 4. And like the story continues. Or like for us today, as we have to understand that like already here in this moment of like all of this bad news, there's already good news in the midst of it. Like already in like the darkest of dark moments, there's already the whispers of Christmas here in Genesis 3. We've been looking at Genesis 3 verses 17 through 24. Go back just a few verses and read Genesis 15 with me, would you? Because literally like right here in the middle of this dark moment, the middle, like, like right in the middle of it, there's a promise made to the serpent who had been a key player in the stumbling of mankind. And this promise shines like a bright star in a cloudless winter night. God promises this. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And now notice the pronoun change. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. 
See, what we celebrate, that proclamation of the angels that rang out in the middle of that night that a savior has been born for us, what we celebrate is a promise made and a promise kept. We promise that God, we, we, we celebrate that God's promise of, of one who would come in and do what we couldn't do for ourselves has been done. That God would take on flesh and he would go face to face with Satan and he would battle him once and for all. And unlike Adam and Eve and everybody that went before him, he wouldn't fall prey to their schemes, to Satan's schemes, but he would stand victorious and live a perfect life. And even in the darkest moment, even when it looked like to all onlookers that Satan had won, when they see him nailed to the cross, you got to remember these words. You will strike his heel. You'll wound him. You'll hurt him. But when Jesus goes into that grave and he comes out on the third day, resurrected, what you see there is a heel drop coming down on the head of Satan to crush him and to destroy his works forever. In that moment, God took Jesus and made him a curse to be a curse for us, to redeem us from the curse that we now could be a people that are freed from the curse and this reign of death that is over us would be broken. At Christmas, we celebrate that while we do live in a cursed world and this ever-present reality of death hangs over us, that is not the end of the story. Church, the good news of Christmas is that, yeah, it wasn't always like this, but it won't be like this forever. For those who've trusted in Jesus, we've been redeemed from the curse. The reign of death has been broken over our lives and there's more. I love this today because we're gonna go like front page of your Bible all the way to the back page. But watch how the Bible ends. Watch what happens to the restriction around the tree of life. Revelation 22 says this, then he showed me the river of the water of life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life, which is no longer in this restricted area and guarded by angels, was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there will no longer be any curse." The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Can somebody in here say amen? Amen, amen right? I said before that the word advent means arrival. And a key part of Advent is that we celebrate the arrival of Christ, that he came just as God promised the first time. But we also need to take a step beyond that because we're not at Christmas time only looking back. But we begin to look forward to a second arrival when Christ, just as God has promised, will come again. This time, not to defeat Satan, to bring us a promised hope. This time he comes to bring us a promised home. 
as Christians, we live in this odd time, this already and not yet reality. It's, it's similar to that, that feeling you get on Christmas morning when all the gifts have been divvied out and you've got like your, your pile on your lap. Are you know what I'm talking about? Like those gifts, they're, they're bought, they're paid for, they're yours, no one's taking them from you. But you got that like weird moment where like you're so excited because you've got it. It's like there's an already element, but there's a not yet reality, right? And the anticipation just grows in you of like, I can't wait to open this thing fully and to enjoy it to the fullest amount. And that's where we live. The already and the not yet. Gifts in hand, waiting to be enjoyed more fully. And my prayer this Christmas season is that not only we would be a people marked by celebration, but of eager groaning, where we would stare at the, the beauty of, of Christmas, but actually fix our eyes at the joy beyond it, to the eternity that awaits us that is greater than a billion Christmas mornings, where the earth will no longer be cursed, where death will be a faded memory and where there'll be no more darkness. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign with him forever and ever. That's why Christmas is so beautiful. And when you see it in the context of the larger story, it becomes even more beautiful, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord God, maybe the right attitude to have today is just purely one of thankfulness. We can maybe rush beyond Thanksgiving, but maybe it's good for us just to pause and go, thank you, God, for doing what we couldn't do for ourselves, for taking the mess that we had brought upon ourselves, the mess of our lives, the mess of this world, and for not letting that be the last chapter of the story, but that you stepped in personally to deal with it once and for all. Lord God, thank you for the joy of Christmas and the hope that's beyond it. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.